Okay, we're beginning today, letter 26. Letter 26 begins with a very, for the Tanya, long passage from the Zohar, from a section of the Zohar called Raya Mehemna, the Faithful Shepherd, reference to Moses. And we're going to go through the passage and we're going to raise questions on it. There are two overarching questions that we raise today, of which there are many details. And we'll continue raising questions tomorrow and come ultimately to a very deep understanding of this passage. So, it's based on a verse in Daniel. It says, and the wise shall shine like the radiance of the firmament. And the Zohar, which Zohar means radiance, says, well, this is a section of the Zohar, Raya Mehemna, the faithful shepherd, comments, with this work of yours, meaning with Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, work, which is the book of the Zohar, the book of radiance, again, the verse was, the wise shall shine like the radiance of the firmament. So with this book of radiance, the Zohar, from the radiance of the supernal mother, the supernal mother is a reference to the divine attribute of understanding in the highest world, in the world of being. And this divine attribute relates to the supernal repentance, the higher repentance. So for such people who study this work of yours, this book of radiance, no trial is needed, meaning the Zohar, the book of radiance, previously stated that the time of the final redemption, the Jewish people will be put to test. Those who belong to the good side of the universe will withstand it, while those who belong to the side of evil will not. And then the Zohar states that those who study the tree of life, the book of Zohar, the book of radiance, from the side of the divine attribute of understanding of Bina, they will not be put to the test. Because eventually the Jewish people, now we're continuing here to this passage, because eventually the Jewish people will taste of the tree of life, which is the book of Zohar, the book of Radiance. They will go out of exile with it in mercy. The very famous quote, bringing out the power of the Zohar in helping us bring redemption. For them shall be fulfilled the verse, God alone will lead them, there's no strange God with him. And the tree of knowledge of good of evil, meaning, Prohibition and permission, impurity and purity will no longer dominate Israel. For their sustenance will drive only from the side of the tree of life, where there's no problematic query, which emanates from the side of evil, no controversy, which emanates from the side of impurity, as it's written in Zechariah, and the spirit of impurity I shall remove from the earth. So there won't be any impurity by the time of the Messiah, and therefore all of this impurity coming from the tree of knowledge of good and evil will be removed. And all that will remain will be the tree of life, which these people who study the Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic knowledge in the Zohar, will be immersed in. Thus, the Torah scholars will not be sustained by illiterate people, but from the side of good who eat that which is pure, kosher, and permitted. Nor will they be sustained by the mixed multitude who eat that which is impure, ritually unfit, and prohibited. And the Zohar continues, while the tree of good and evil dominates the world, meaning the times of exile, these sages who are likened to the Sabbaths and the festivals have nothing except that which is given to them by those who are called unsanctified ones, just like the Sabbath, which only has what has been prepared for it on the weekday. However, when the tree of life will dominate by the times of the Messiah, the tree of good and evil will be suppressed, and the illiterate people will only have what the Torah scholars give them. They will be subjugated to them as if they did not exist in the world. Accordingly, the prohibited and permitted 
impure and pure will not be removed from the illiterate people. As regards them, there'll be no difference between the era of exile and the days of Messiah, except for the Jewish people's release from servitude to the nations. For they will not have tasted the tree of life, meaning the study of Kabbalah, and they will require the Mishnayos, which sets out the laws of the prohibited and permitted, impurity and purity. That is the end of that long quotation from the Zohar from Ryan Mahemna. This very interesting quotation is discussing the times of exile when it's seemingly this, what it calls tree of knowledge of good and evil, is ruling. And the times of the Messiah, when the tree of life will rule, and implying the tree of life is the study of the esoteric dimension of Torah, Kabbalah, which only the great scholars study, and now those great scholars are under the dominion of those forces of evil, and the times of Messiah, they'll be free from them. But the illiterate people who haven't tasted of the tree of life, for them the time of Messiah won't be so different from now, they just won't be subjugated by the nations. That in brief is what the Zohar is saying, which is very questionable on many levels. So today we're going to focus on two questions, and the questions continue tomorrow. So the first question is, that how can we be implying, which is what it seems as Zohar is saying, that part of Torah is called the tree of knowledge of good and evil? In other words, saying something is good and evil is what Kabbalistically and Hasidically call klipas noiga, this admixture of godliness and evil. Torah seemingly is only godly. But based on this passage, we're saying when you study the laws, when you study what's permissible and what's forbidden, that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil which implies it's not holiness purely, but it's this admixture of holiness and evil. And this contradicts the, what it very simply seems to be saying in the scriptures and our sages, that the entire Torah, including all the revealed parts of Torah, we call a tree of life. Torah is referred to as the tree of the life for those who hold fast to it. That's what it says in Proverbs, in Mishlei. Yet, according to this quote from the Zohar, it seemed that only Kabbalistic, esoteric knowledge is a tree of knowledge. And especially if you think that in the days when the Zohar was written, and for most of Jewish history, very, very few people studied esoteric knowledge. The whole wisdom of Kabbalah was hidden except for a few Torah scholars. And even those few Torah scholars who studied it, studied it in a very concealed manner, not publicly like they studied Talmud. Only when we come to much more recent times, to the times of Rabbi Isaac Luria, the Arizal, he said in his times, it's now permitted and obligatory to reveal the esoteric dimension of Torah. But not in the earlier generations. So we're talking about roughly in the, let's say, 1600, roughly, if I'm going to put a, a number to it. So until that time, very few people were aware of it. It was hidden for a long time. And even when it was not hidden, only very few of the greatest scholars studied esoteric knowledge and then passed it on very secretively, very discreetly to the next generation. So how can we say that the majority of the Jewish people would fall, as it seems to imply from the Zohar, into this group of, you know, the illiterate people under the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and only a tiny, 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 minuscule amount of Jews could be considered those who taste from the tree of life. The author of the Zohar, Rav Bar Yochai, states in the Zohar 
that permission to reveal the secrets of esoteric wisdom is only for him and his associates. So that's one large question. The second large question is, based on our superficial reading of the quotation, it seems to say that the Zohar is the tree of life and the revealed parts of Torah, like the laws, are the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So if that's true, we would think that the study of the laws, the study of ritual prohibition and permission, surely the study of civil laws, money matters, should not override the obligation of prayer because we pray according to the secrets of Kabbalah, of esoteric knowledge of the Zohar. So based on what we just read in our superficial reading, it would seem that prayer, based on Kabbalistic intent, is far superior to studying these laws. But that's not true. The study of laws, of ritually prohibited and permitted, even the study of civil laws according to Torah, overrides the obligation to pray. As we see in the Talmud, that Rav Shimbari Chai and his associates, and all other people like him who studied Torah constantly, did not interpret Torah study for prayer, even when they're studying civil law. Like a, a famous scholar, Rav Yehuda, who all of his studies were in the laws of damages, civil litigation, as Torah defines it. But in order not to interrupt his studies, he prayed only every 30 days from reviewing his studies. And we see in the Talmud Yerushalmi, in the Jerusalem Talmud, Rav Shimon Bar Yochai says that even for the reading of Shema, which is a biblical commandment, you can interrupt the study of scripture, but not of Mishnah, not of the oral Torah, not of the arrangement of law. Because he's stating here that the study of Mishnah is superior then to the study of Scripture and overrides your obligation to say the Shema. And it doesn't make a difference which Mishnah, which of the laws you're studying. Even studying laws of damages would not override, would not be stopped to pray the Shema prayer. So here, parenthetically, the author brings in that we see that this opinion, based on what Rav Chai is stating here, it seems that the study of the laws of Mishnah, of the Oral Torah, are superior to Scripture. Because he's stating that if one is studying Scripture, one would stop, one would interrupt to read the Shema prayer. But if one is studying Mishnah, one is studying the Oral Laws, then one does not stop, no matter which oral laws one is studying. So that implies that Mishnah, the study of the law, any law of Jewish law, is superior to the study of Scripture. Parenthetically, the Alter Rebbe says that in other places, Rav Chai implies that Scripture is less, is sorry, that the Mishnah is less than Scripture. Meaning here, where Rav Chai is stating that scripture is less than the oral law, that's in the Talmud, in the Jerusalem Talmud. In Kabbalistic writings, in the Zohar, Kabbalistically understanding this, Rav Shemar Yechai says that Mishnah, relative to scripture, Mishnah, the study of the oral law, is called the handmaiden. Kabbalah, the esoteric wisdom, is called the queen. And the written Torah, scripture, is called the king. So we're saying from a Kabbalistic perspective, scripture is higher than Mishnah. 
But based on the Talmudic understanding, we're putting Mishnah superior to Scripture. And therefore, if you're studying this oral law, even laws dealing with damages and litigations and money claims, we don't stop for the biblical commandment to say the Shema, which is a more Kabbalistic concept. And also, if you think of Rabbi Shembari Chai himself, he spent years and years and years studying the oral law, studying the Mishnah. In other words, he was in this cave for 13 years, hiding with tremendous physical anguish, and he attributes that to his attainment in his understanding of the Mishnah, of the oral law. As there was a situation recounted in the Talmud, that there were various problematic queries posed to him, and each one he gave 24 solutions for. And how did he have 24 solutions? Because of his study of the Torah in all of the physical deprivation, being in the cave for 13 years. So here he is, in this cave, is he studying Kabbalah? No. Whoever says it probably took him two, three months to compile the entire Zohar, because there's no questions there. Everything's straight, godly light. No argumentation. Three months, he could say it all. In Mishnah, in the oral law, where there's so many questions and analysis and counter-arguments, he spent 13 years studying it. So obviously, if he's spending 13 years studying it, it's not something that is of a lesser spiritual significance. And our sages taught us that since the day the temple was destroyed, God resides in the place of law. So the study of Torah law is taking the place of the temple. So how could we possibly say, as the passage from the Zohar from Raya Mahemna seems to imply, that the study of the laws of ritual permissibility and the like is designated as a tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is that klipas neiga, that admixture of godliness and evil, and not pure godliness, and only the study of Kabbalah, the study of the esoteric wisdom, is the tree of life, which is pure godliness. So we did thus far, was we had that long quotation from the Zohar, which seems to imply that only people who study the esoteric wisdom truly will benefit in the times of the Messiah, will have a completely different reality than the illiterate common people who don't study from the don't taste from the tree of life from the Zohar. And we raised two very large overarching questions on this. One, how in the world can we call a portion of Torah, tree of knowledge of good and evil, all Torah is completely godly, with many details there. And two, if we're understanding this quotation from the Zohar properly, how could it be that a person could study the oral law study civil laws, monetary laws, laws of damages, laws of permissible, laws of forbidden, and that would supersede the obligation of prayer at fixed times when prayer is arranged according to the secrets of the mystical understanding of Torah, according to Kabbalah. Wouldn't that override this Torah study that we're seemingly implying is of a lesser level? So those are two large questions. Tomorrow we'll continue with more questions.